information. Like, we okay, since you started this new business, you're making a little money on your phone, you, you don't have your accounting together, you don't have all these things, but you know what? Come in. We welcome you in. Let's get you the tools and the resources that you need in business development and just for yourself, the empowerment, because it's, a, it's one thing to say, get an LLC, go sit in a conference, go on LinkedIn and network, update your bio, all this stuff. You can say all of that, but if you don't feel it innately, if, if you have not internalized or if you have not been empowered by someone that looks like you, and this is what they say, and I get this from education too, right? It's important for children, especially black children, to see representation of themselves. You're listening to Disrupting Balance, the podcast, where we are busting myths and breaking balance. Here's stories from women who are pushing boundaries to navigate the decisions and changes that come with work, womanhood, and winning. I'm your host, Hanifa Barnes, speaker, decision strategist, and master imbalancepreneur. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show. On today's episode, we have Zaneda Mann. She is the founder and superstar architect of the Black Women's Business Collective, a crowdsourcing initiative created out of a growing need to provide access and resources to Black and Afro-Latina women business owners experiencing financial challenges in the wake of COVID-19. Thousands of women have already joined because Zaneda knows how to use her resources to create a community that serves the women who look like her. Out of humble beginnings, she mastered her power of communication and creativity to cultivate a unique journey in education and entrepreneurship. But it wasn't always easy. Listen to this episode as Zaneda shares the struggles of pivoting, especially as a mother of three daughters, and why she believes that practice, experience, and knowledge equal success. Connect with Zaneda on Twitter and Instagram at Zaneda, that's Z-A-N-A-D-E, and get additional information in the show notes. So hello and welcome to the show, Zaneda. I am so glad to have you on the podcast. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. And I'm so glad to be here. That is great. And you know, we're going to jump right in with the first big question. And that is, what is your story? Okay. I have a pretty big story. I think we all we all do, right? So my story is that I am a natural disruptor of things. I, by trade, I am an educator, a special educator. I started many years ago in marketing and PR, and I found a way to kind of merge this all together. So I have this huge story of, hey, I'm this, hey, I'm that, hey, I've done this. Just many, many avenues because that's just who I am in my personality. So my story is that I am really reflective on my life experiences and I tend to put that into my career and what I do. And I'm just like, I love Black women. And that's my story currently. I feel like we have these chapters in our lives. And my story here is I want to support Black women and I identify as a Black woman and 
I love entrepreneurism and communications and just making this whole ecosystem for all of us to grow and be. And also for my three daughters, give them an example of what success and a successful Black woman is. And, and that is a part of my story that I'm still writing. That's great. I find it interesting. You use the word merge, you know, education and marketing and merging all these talents that you've had through the course of your experience. But tell me how it was during those pivots, because right now it sounds like, wow, it was easy. It was, there was a flow, but I'm sure during the process, you were still like, well, why am I doing this or why am I doing that? So let's talk about those pivots from education, communications and marketing and all of that. So the part that I didn't add, I when I was very young, I'm going to say about 21, I had decided that I want to go to law school. And I had just this idea. I just loved reading. I have a political science degree. And that was my path. My ultimate pivot, and not to get into that too much, but my pivot there was me realizing that I wasn't that interested in law or the actual practice of it. I just think the big theories of everything and studying cases, which I still love to this day, case studies is one of my favorite. And uh, you know, I made this pivot over to, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to follow my passion. And one of my passions happens to be communications. I was a single mother at the time and I needed to figure it out. So I had started a small business where I would do social media marketing and Martin Communications for small brands. And I was very fortunate to get a client who was an OBG, a board certified OBGYN. And she supported me through, you know, this pivot from school, literally from undergrad to what was I going to do next while trying to support my children. And I just went with it. So in that moment, when I made that first switch and that first pivot, it was tough. Like now that I have to reflect on it, I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't know what was what was next, what was to come, and what how would I take care of my family. But I knew that I had a, an idea that I could be successful doing this because obviously, you know, God gave me this gift. You know, I, I'm very spiritual, and I, I feel like this gift was given to me to give to the world. So I just stuck with it, and I, I remember struggling a lot with how can I pay for my LLC or how can I pay, you know, to legitimize my business? How can I do these things? And I really wasn't, I didn't have a lot of money. I, I didn't come from money and it was hard. It, it was so hard, but I didn't give up. Now making the, the next pivot, because I've had many, but the next pivot, when I ended up in education, I had some great opportunities. I was able to teach some classes about personal branding and marketing at Barnard College. And what was great about that is I I was immersed in the classroom with really intelligent young women. <laughs> they they just was on fire. Like I don't I don't know what what they got when they were younger that just inspired them, but I saw beauty in that. And I thought I wanted to get into the classroom. Now at this time, a couple of years later, I didn't have a PhD or I still don't have a PhD, so I couldn't become a full-time professor in this prestigious college university. So I was just like, okay, how am I going to get into the classroom? So I went back, I got my master's and I went into public school education, which was totally different than what I had experienced. But that pivot gave me a clear lesson, right? Like just to always go after what you want. And that's exactly what I did. I said, I'm just going to go after it. That part was 
a little difficult because I had to take all of these exams and I, I just wasn't as focused, but I got through it. I got into the classroom. I loved it. And then I made that switch out, which was the third pivot and where I am currently. And that was really, really what I'll say is traumatizing for me because I'm older. And as a woman who has children that she's raising, the decisions you make, they, they can't be just about you anymore, right? It's it's like, okay, so Zaneda, you've been making these pivots and you've been, you know, in and out of your business. Sometimes you make money, sometimes you don't. I think for three or four years, I made a lot of money. I did really good. But then, you know, we had a housing bubble burst and all this other stuff happened and just contracts failed. And I was back at point one, right? Point zero or whatever. And I knew then that with this new pivot, I had to think about my daughters. And that part was really hard and it was really stressful. But my job at the time was causing me so much anxiety and I was unhappy. I'm someone who has to live her life. And I know that sounds so, so simple, but there are people that wake up every day and they're not living the lives that they want to live. I'm just not, I fight against that. It's just in my spirit. And I'm just like, I can't do it. I may stay in that, that pivot mode where it's like, okay, what am I doing next? And I don't know. And so I'll stay there for a little bit because I may not have a choice. And that's another thing. Like, is that true that you don't have a choice? But then I had one thing I had for sure was responsibility. And I couldn't just jump out of a pension job and go hundred percent in. And some, you know, some theory. Some people in business may say, you know, you just go and do it. Just do it and whatever. But the reality is when you don't have a support system or a financial support system, you can't just make these pivots without some consequence. So I chose to um, deal with the consequences with this last pivot. And I said, you know what? I am, I'm just going to leave. I I can't do this. You know, if I'm waking up and I'm shaking, I'm just like, I don't want to go to this place anymore. And it wasn't necessarily the children. It was more or less the the system. So the, the, the bureaucracy of education in New York City is just, it really does wear educators down. And if you're listening to the news, you know, at this point, you know, the New York City DOE has a lot going on. So a lot of that I was dealing with every single day. And I said, I, I lined it up, you know, at this time I had throughout my pivot, I got married and I said to my husband, I said, okay, I want to leave. Like, I just want to, I want to go. Like, you know me, you know, I'm a free spirit. Like I'm ready to just go. And we looked at our finances. You know, I'm always someone, you know, for those who don't know me, I'm, I'm always someone who has multiple streams of income. So although I was working in education, I have, I still have my marketing business. So we, we have a a nice little nest egg, I guess, where I could make a, a jump like that but it wouldn't last long and I would have to figure it out. So he's just, he's like, okay, well, I have the health insurance part. So I'm very blessed to have that. And I didn't have that 10 years ago when I was making all these crazy pivots but um, or forced to, but he's just like, you know what? Just do it. You know, follow your heart. I'll, I'll hold this down until you figure out what it is that you want to do because he didn't know what I was, what was going on in my head. I already knew I planned it out. My wall is filled with all my ideas and projects and all this stuff. And I've already had a goal. But once he said, we're good on the healthcare front because we know how important that is with children and and just life period, I did it. And that was, that's the pivot I'm in now. It feels really good. And I think in this time, I, I was just coaching someone that it's really hard to celebrate your moments and your accomplishments and stuff in this 
this setting that we're in with really important people passing away and (laughs) what's going on politically and just health wise. But I've been very fortunate that the moment of push that I just got now, this pivot wasn't chosen. I did not, I did, I loved teaching. I just had to change schools and the school that I went to was horrible. There was no support. And I was literally pushed to make this decision by, you know, whoever you believe in, the universe, God, whoever it is. This was like a push because I would have probably stayed in education, in public school education for a lot longer Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I, because I loved it so much, but that wasn't the core of who I am. Someone who loves to communicate and teach, but maybe not teach a prescribed curriculum, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm about, I'm about teaching business. I'm about teaching, you know, financial literacy. And that's just not something that is supported in the public school system. Unfortunately, maybe they are making a pivot. So yes. (laughs) Let me jump in here because I hear a lot of good things. And when you started talking about your pivots, one thing I can hear is there is a kind of an arc in this process of your pivot. So when you first started, it was really, really challenging, but you had a great client who supported you through, you were a single mother. And then when you transition into this next pivot, sounded a little bit more seamless, like you kind of had your feet under you and you were pushing forward. But now we come to this point of a pivot where you're older, you ha- your children are older, you're more seasoned, you are now married, but still you find that in this pivot, there was some challenge in that as well. Mm-hmm. So what was that turning point for you? And I know you were about to go in it a little bit, but there was an incident and you called it kind of this PTSD in education, but there was a particular incident where you were in your car, it forced you to sit in your car and actually make a big decision. So let's talk about that pivotal incident. Out of respect for the students and, you know, just the situation, I, I won't go too deep into like the actual, what had happened days Leading up to that, I was a lot of trauma was going on in school, a lot of physical and emotional abuse and stuff that was going on. And I I would I always would stand up and say, hey, this is not right. And I would report it. But we those of us in education knows that when you do when you do things like that, it's you just you don't get the you don't get the high five. Like, thank you for pointing that out. So I was. I had to internalize a lot of these experiences, which is why I called it like this PTSD experience. But one morning I got up, actually, I couldn't even get up to be honest. I was laying in bed and I was up, my eyes were open, but my body was like paralyzed. I started to shake. And and for the the months being in the school, there was something that the, the students would do. They would like slam the doors and they were really heavy doors. So every time I heard something slam, my body would jump. So after so many months of enduring this, it, it could be someone opening opening the door and my body would just automatically, that anxiety that, you know, whatever it was, I'm not a, not a doctor, but whatever it was. And I was feeling this. So my body was starting to really break down no matter how healthy, you know, I thought I was or I drink all this water. And then one day I get in the car and I remember, I remember my husband walked with me because I was like, I just can't do this. And he's like, lady, you can't show up late. You know, we got responsibilities. I'm a teacher. <laughs> and I'm just like, I can't do this anymore. And my husband, for full transparency, is someone who works in the military. He's worked for the city of New York for 20 years. He, you know, so he has a certain mindset about nine to five worlds. And I don't, <laughs> I'm the disruptor of all of that. I don't like nine to five jobs mm-hmm. and stuff. 
So we're totally opposite. So for him, he's like, listen, I know you're feeling this way, but you still got to go to work. And in my head, I'm going, no, I don't. I have a choice. <laughs> so as we're walking to the car, I laugh about it now, but it's just that moment. I still can't believe that I actually had that breakdown. I get to the car and I sit down and I can't start the engine. And he's just like, he's like, Zaneda, drive. He's like, you're going to, because I worked about an hour and a half away. And he's just like, Zaneda, you got to drive. You're going to be late. You know, the traffic, the bridge, all this stuff. Remember, I'm in New York City. And I'm just like, I can't go. And I start crying. I'm bawling. Like, I can't live this life. Like, this is not what I want to do. Like, I love teaching students, but just not in this capacity. This is horrible. And I'm just like having a complete meltdown. Whatever medical term it is, I'm just having a complete meltdown in the car. And I'm shaking. And my husband's like, oh, wow. Like, he really saw that this is, I'm not living the life I want to live. And I had made that decision I went to work. I was a little late. I got there. You know, I dealt with the day. It was so bad. I would wear like earplugs because it was so loud and so much stuff going on. Like it just, I just couldn't take it anymore. The kids heard me and I heard them, but it was just like, I needed to do that to take care of myself. And I left and I, during my lunch period, I packed up everything. And I was just like, I, right now, I'm not coming back. Like this is it. And I took my stuff out. And that was literally the last day. It is, it is not something that, you know, educators, like I had a lot of my friends, teacher friends, they're like, you left in the middle of a school year. I was like, I cannot, like, they're not going to have a teacher if I continue to live in this situation. So I have to, like, I'm not going to be living. That's, that's how bad it felt that I, I felt like I am going to have an aneurysm or some craziness because of this stress. And coupled with the fact that I know my ability I know that I can help students and women because I'm all about women's empowerment. I can help them in a different setting. This isn't it. And that is killing me as well. Like that's how I felt. And I just walked away that that next day I walked in proudly. You know, I, I said bye to my students. Some of them were a little upset. And I said, you know, this man has to do this for Miss Man, right? And and you all know and whatever. I gave them this feel and I kind of went downstairs, went with my letter. And I said to the principal, I am leaving. I'm resigning my position as of today. And I, you know, she didn't care. Really, she didn't care. I mean, this, if you know the education system, sometimes they don't, they, they don't care about the teachers as much as they should, since we're like the, the lifeline of the school system. But I just said, okay. And, and I almost found myself getting upset, but I said, you know what? No, I'm free. And I, when I walked out the building, I don't know what it is, but this entire weight fell off of me. I didn't, you know, I literally, I'm telling you, I walked away from a pension. I walked away from, and I was, I was making decent, I was, I guess I was making decent money because of my degrees and I had done extra work and professional mm -hmm. development, which boosted my, my salary. I walked away mm -hmm. from it all. I then sat back in my car and this time I'm, I'm on the Upper East Side somewhere. And I was like, <sighs> a totally different energy from two days ago. And it, it, in that pivot, I mean, I can't even explain that, but that was a push. And I, and I believe that is necessary. It was necessary. And it is, that will always be my answer. It was necessary because now I'm here and the same things that I've been doing years ago and pushing and developing and refining my craft, I'm able to now teach people are still contracting me to teach kids to do things right like tutoring or can you teach financial literacy can so i still have an opportunity 
to teach the youth and also follow my passion and really empowering Black women to grow and start their businesses because I've, I've done it while holding down a nine to five, also while holding down another career that just wasn't serving me and quite literally making me ill. So so at any point, like after that point where you said, I'm walking away, you hand your papers to the principal at any point between then and when you finally found your stride in the next thing, did you feel like, oh my gosh, what did I do? Did I make a mistake? Like, did you have some type of buyer's remorse, so to speak? Yes. I, and I hesitate saying saying yes, but I'm going to keep it real with you. I did for a moment. And let me explain. Because I had, I'm very fortunate that I was able to, I'm in a new position that allows me to do what I love. So I, the director of a very large nonprofit and it's all about communication. So everything is, it's, it's my lifeline right there. So I'm able to do that, but also have the flexibility to work and do my business. And I thought I, yes, but what happened was right, I resigned two days or three days before New York City went on lockdown. So this is very recent. This isn't some old school story. So I didn't know, and this is the beauty. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not pushing, a, you know, religion or anything on anybody, but I'm telling you for me and who my beliefs are. Like, I'm like, I literally sat there and said, wow, God, you couldn't wait, have waited five more days before I resigned because then what would have happened? I would have still had my teaching job, but I would have been home, which would allow, which would have allowed me to heal because most of my stressors were coming from being in the building, seeing people who were being disrespectful to me. I mean, like adults, they were just rude. They, you know, a lot of them were like, why are you wasting time teaching these kids? Like, just make your money. Like this, these are the educators in, in this building. And that was just killing my spirit. So if I would have waited, this was the part where I was just like, wow, it's a running joke between my friends and, and my family. They're like, girl, if you would have waited, you would have still had your pension and your job and you would have had these new contracts. You would have been making tons of money. Right. And everything happens for a reason. So I thought about that and I said, you know what? I said, no, I said, God I didn't want that to happen. Wanted me to make this jump before I knew anything. And then it'd be too late and I was forced to go hard on what I'm doing right now. So I am very grateful for making mm-hmm. that, making that. But but yeah, there was a little, little bit there where I was just like, oh man, <laughs> oh man, I could have kept my passion and figured yeah. it out, right? <laughs> yeah. So your story is one, it is filled with like these incremental points of where you talk about this drive that you have this desire to create, this desire to kind of be out of the box. When you compare your husband's personality to your personality and being complete opposites, I completely understand that. And this desire and need to create your own thing. Where does that come from? Let's talk about eight-year-old Zaneda and what, when that driver was, when you recognize that drive in you. Oh yeah, I love sharing this story. So um, I, so my grandfather, I come from a military family, and my grandfather worked for the United States Postal Service for 25 years. Just want to give some context. So he had a lot of friends <laughs> and a lot of people that he could sell things to, 
and he would bring me around. And every year, because I'm born and raised in New York City, New York City school systems used to have these candy sales, much more robust than what people know of now. Like a lot of it is not the same. So think of like Girl Scout cookies in the New York City school system. Like that's how it was. It was real. We were out there hustling and selling whatever. So my grandfather would bring me around to his office or his community. I don't really remember what it was back then, but he would bring me to all these different places. So he was known, they called him Sarge. He was one of those guys that everyone loves. So naturally he brings his granddaughter who has like candy sale forms and we would sell out all the time. This one year when I was, um, I believe it was third grade, the principal had called I was in the classroom and the principal said, you know, uh, Zaneda man, can you come to the office? And I'm, I was a star student. So I'm like, what? What did I do? And I go to the office and they announced that I had sold the most candy out of the entire New York City. So for my little little mind then, I was just like, oh, in the whole school? I was just so excited. So whole school? And they're like, no, the entire New York City, like five boroughs. And I said, are you serious? And that pumped me up. I didn't know what it was then, but I was on fire. So it, it was, all of that was great. And they gave me a $300 or maybe it was 250 mm-hmm. certificate for Jeffrey Bucks, which was, you know, Toys R Us. They use Toys R Us and now I know it's gone, but Toys R Us used to have these Jeffrey Bucks as money that they would give, um, or you would get it and give it to a kid, whatever. So that was my prize. And we had sold for full context. We've sold thousands of dollars in candy. It maybe could have been six, seven thousand dollars. That's a lot. And they gave me in return. So for six, seven thousand dollars worth of candy sales, they gave me three hundred dollars in Jeffrey Bucks. I was pissed. <laughs> I was pissed. The average the average kid would probably oh, Jeffrey Bucks. I went and bought the Super Nintendo, so I'm dating myself. I, I you know, I'm that old. And I, I was one of the first ones in the hood with the Super Nintendo, and it was great, but I, I just had this thought in my head and I was just like, wait, are you serious? I'm like, your daddy. I said, wait a minute. So we sold all of this because he he would teach me about finance and money and stuff. And I'm seeing all these zeros, right? I'm just like, okay, so there's two zeros here, but there's all these other zeros <laughs> on the other end. And I said, like, this doesn't make any sense to me. I said, oh, well, that's how it, you know, that's how it is. So I said, no, I want to make more money. So I decided that I would no longer participate in candy sales unless we were getting like an even deal. It had to be, we split in half, right? I should have got $3,000 out of that, but I got 300. So I decided that I would take whatever little allowance that I got and buy candy from the corner store. And I would sell the candy in my school for full, like I, whatever you call it, like it was a dollar. Let's say it was a a five cent lollipop. I was selling it for 50 cents. You know what I mean? I, I would buy all of these uh, Laffy Taffies and what, what's the other one? Tootsie mm-hmm. Rolls. Now, later. Now, later all that. <laughs> like I, and they had the little packs back then. I don't know what they have now, but they used to have the little pack with five in it. And I would sell like bundles. Like it, the same way they're selling hair bundles, I was selling bundles. Like take, here, here's five or six different pieces, like assortment, here's variety, right? Yeah. I'll give you this. And you give me a whole dollar for something that cost me maybe 25 cents at the corner, mm-hmm. at the corner store. And I had, like, that was my drive. Like, whatever it is that I'm selling, I have to get something back, even if it's I'm bartering services or whatever it is. Like, I I am not giving something for nothing. Even if I'm giving free content, 
if I give free content, I'm expecting something on the back end. Maybe I'm expecting your email address. That's actually money to me, right? And I think about the I think about these things, and that started at at eight. Like I I couldn't believe that they hustled me like that. It was ridiculous. <laughs> well, I find it amazing. You even recognize that at eight year eight years old. Cause like you said, most eight year olds are gonna be like, Yay, I got three hundred dollars. They're not thinking about all the other zeros that you actually, you know, were responsible for getting. So you know what I think it is? Sorry, what? sorry to cut you off, but you know what I think it is? My it was cash. Remember, we're talking about it could have been the, the early nineties or something like that. So we're talking about cash. I watched my grandfather count cash. Like he had envelopes just filled with dollar bills, fives, twenties, fifties. So I, I think that, you know, the logical answer is I saw all of that money being handed to someone and I got a piece of paper that said $300 that bought mm-hmm. me a Super Nintendo. And I think it was seeing that. Now that now you you say that, I'm like, no, I remember him counting. We literally had the dollar bills laid out on the bed, $5 because no one was doing credit cards. Everything was cash. And I watched him and I'm like, wait, we're going to take all of this money and give it to somebody? Like, this makes no sense to me. <laughs> Sorry about that. But. No, no. So how now do you spend all of that, all of what you know, all of Young Zaneda and all of your experiences into the Black Women's Collective? How do you help Black women to see that they have the drive, to see that they can be successful, to see that they can count them zeros and make something for what they give? Tell me about that, the collective and the experience around supporting Black women in business. Well, I'll tell you this much. There's, there's, there's practice, there's experience, and there's knowledge. So they're not the same to me. So I have the experience from, if you listen to this entire podcast, you will know that I've had these experiences of highs and lows, somewhat of medium, right? Like I had money. I didn't have money at times. I was struggling with with children. I struggled without children. I grew up in certain neighborhoods. And all of this is the life experience and, and having that drive, which is the the inspiration and the empowerment that has always lived inside me that I know Black women need to continue going in their business, to continue doing the doing the work when they see the world is either stealing their ideas or, or getting paid for it or people are playing, you know, playing black women, playing as a black woman and they're seeing their their genius being capitalized and they're not making the money off of it. Mm-hmm. I've been there. I know that. The lived experience, right? And then the practice of it is I've had multiple businesses. And some would say, oh, you know, you got to focus on one thing. And I get it. I, you know, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg doesn't focus on one thing. Uh, Jeff Bezos is not focusing on one thing. And I've always studied greats. And like, as I said earlier, I love case studies. So I, I look at what larger businesses do. I've been studying this for many years to know it's okay to pivot and try something new. I know the practice of making your own website and doing horrible at it, right? Not being a front-end and back-end developer. I trained myself to do that. Right. So I know the the practice of I don't have the money to start an LLC. Right. So these are the things that I need here. Maybe somebody can help me with a system that if I save five to ten dollars a day in 30 days, I can have the money for my web host and my LLC. Like helping them to see these things, because I think sometimes, especially in this moment, we are we are clouded by so much 
positive stuff, negative stuff, political stuff, business stuff. You don't know what's going on right now unless you are laser focused. And I feel that my my experience and my practice will build this ecosystem. To, and that's why I call it the collective, right? Get it, getting the Black women in. Like, we, okay, sis, you started this new business. You're making a little money on your phone. You, you don't have your accounting together. You don't have all these things. But you know what? Come in. We welcome you in. Let's get you the tools and the resources that you need in business development and just for yourself, the empowerment. Because it's a, it's one thing to say, get an LLC, go sit in a conference, go on LinkedIn and network, update your bio, all this stuff. You could say all of that. But if you don't feel it innately, if it's not, if you have not internalized or if you have not been empowered by someone that looks like you, and this is what they say, and I get this from education too, right? It's important for children, especially Black children, to see representation of mm-hmm. themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So even if you're, I'm talking to Black women right now who are in their 40s and 50s, they are older than me. And they're just like, I need guidance. They don't see it. They don't see it for themselves. Right. So they they not only need the business development side and the marketing side, but they also need a little bit of accountability and self-care in the sense where we're just all together. And these there are these avenues and you can learn at your pace, but also know that you have a group of people who are here to guide you and to keep you accountable. Because because at the end of the day, you can read, you can sign up for memberships, you could do courses, you can do all of that. But if someone's not going to be accountable. And that's what that's what I've I've built the the infrastructure of accountability for Black women owned businesses. Whether you just sold your first item or you are you got twenty you know twenty clients and you're making thousands. Like there there's something there that needs to come together and be supported. Whether that's by including allies in in the group or having this this side circle of here's 10 women who sell products, right? You you have your own group over there and y'all are working through things. You're keeping each other accountable. And I know just because I am my target market, I, I say this all the time. I'm not trying to sell to someone who I don't know that I have to research. There's not, there's not that much research I have to do because I am a, a Black woman who has struggled creating her multiple businesses. So I, I know I have made a lot of money. I've made no money. I've made whatever, you know, survival money. And, mm-hmm. and I know all the stories. So it's like every single time I get so many DMs and I love, I, I love engagement. So I am consistently talking to them and I'm like, girl, I get it. Like, listen, I, I was a teenage mother. Right. And that's something that a lot of people don't know about my story, but I, I have struggled like I didn't have any help. I've done this and, and have gotten this far. So I know you who may not even have 10% of what I have experienced in the struggle part, like everyone's not struggling, right? So I just know that I've seen all, all avenues that I'm supposed to see to be able to bring this collective to Black women. And it's based in research. So as I said, I do case studies and I've, there's, there's two that I've been talking about a lot. So it's the American Express 2018 report is the state of um, women in business. And they have a very small, because that's what they think about us. <laughs> Honestly, they gave us a very small paragraph of mm-hmm. black women owned businesses. And it's that paragraph that that alarmed me. And I've been in business for a long time, but ju- I read this maybe a year ago and it alarmed me. And the, and the paragraph to summarize just basically says that black women owned businesses, they are the fastest growing to create 
right? So we have the most businesses, most LLCs, most this, but in revenue is, is a meager amount of $24,000 to maybe, maybe it said, it said 60,000, like on average, we're not having revenues past $60,000. You can go be a secretary for $60,000. You understand what I'm saying? So you, we don't go mm-hmm. into, we don't go into business to make $60,000. Like, no, that makes, that may make someone very happy, but my goal and my mission is to scale. There's two, about 2.4 million black women owned businesses. My goal is to scale at least 25% of them to go over six figures. Right. And it's deeply backed in research. Like we are not making some are right. There's always unicorns. People are making tons of money. Black women making tons of money. But there's not, there's a majority of us that are hardly making a couple hundred dollars a month in sales. The second report that I read was from the Federal Reserve of Kansas City, a brilliant, brilliant report on the state of black women in business. And it listed all of the barriers because they, I guess they took a a control group and they just kind of questioned them. And out of the women, the barriers that they listed, I know all of the barriers. I'm like, yeah, I dealt with that. Lack of access, lack of business development tools. So I, I, I took all of this. So my knowledge, I took my practice, I took my experience and I said, okay, everything that they're saying, they spent thousands getting these reports together. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to create systems. I'm creating a, an entrepreneurial ecosystem for black women to get over these barriers. Like there's, there's systemic barriers that I just, right. I can't do that on my own. Like that's a whole nother story, but there's all these other barriers that are deeply rooted in business knowledge. Same thing with these PPP loans. Like a lot of black women owned businesses did not qualify. You know why? Because they, they didn't register as anything. They have no paper trail. There's no tax returns. So the, you know, the government's like the SBA, we can't give you even the basic a thousand dollars grant that you never have to pay back. I know black women that didn't even know about it, right? They didn't know about it. And, and to be quite frank, they probably didn't, they probably couldn't even qualify. Right. So these are this is what this collective is about. And moving forward, we have, you know, I've been teasing the academy. We have this academy that's coming. It's the Black Wolf Academy. Very excited about it. And just really putting every everyone in and saying, what is it that you need? What I've been doing surveys and people are just giving me information and the research is beautiful. And now I know what it is that what they say they need. I'm not telling them what they need. They're telling me what they need and I'm creating it. And I believe I'm the person to do it. Well, you definitely have the energy, the momentum. I mean, I'm sitting here like taking the notes. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. Thank you. But it's good for listeners to hear your story because people so often just see the glory of everything Mm. and they don't understand kind of the push, the struggle, the really the roots of your process. So it's good that folks can hear what you've been through to really understand why you are where you are today. What has been your ultimate creation? My daughters. Wow. And why? They are my legacy. Really? And, you know, I have a, I have a goal, which I don't, this is a personal thing, but I have a goal to, build generational wealth for generations that I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm never going to see because of just time and age. And so they, they have to, they have to carry it on. 
So everything I'm doing, I'm the, I'm the sacrifice and they have to. So <laughs> they're my greatest creation. It's the only way. Beautiful. I am Zaneda, and I am disrupting balance by supporting Black women-owned businesses in the United States all day and every day. Thank you for listening to Disrupting Balance. To learn more about how I'm disrupting balance, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Disrupting Balance. You can also check out my website at www.disruptingbalance.com to get podcast updates and news from the Balanced Disruptor community about how you can become your very own master in balancepreneur. Talk soon. <laughs>